Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how, mo- how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I usually do this beforehand, but I forgot. It's all right. So when my kids were little, nap time was one of the very most important time in the day for me. I still remember mourning the time when my kids stopped taking naps. That was a very sad day. And even more important than nap time, for those of you that have young children or have had young children, is the bedtime, right? And trying to put your kid down to bed, and depending on the day of the week and what they have for dinner or just being gassy, right? Uh, It could be a fight where you're holding the child, trying to put the child to sleep, and they just won't. And, And you get to that place of just exhaustion from holding them, sweating, that they finally fall asleep. And what's worse than a child finally falling asleep is if that child is woken up by someone else or by something, right? You do everything you can to be as silent as possible when your child is asleep because you you don't want them to wake up. So you can understand why someone who knocks at your door at midnight to come and ask for a favor it just wouldn't be a thing you would normally do. Like, I don't care if you're my friend. If my kids are down for their sleep or their nap time, and you come knocking at the door, especially at midnight, 
It, it better be something important. And this would have been the case in our parable today, as most people during that time would have lived in, one, in a one-room house. There wouldn't have been separate rooms for, for their kids. So to come at midnight meant to have disturbed the whole household. Just imagine someone coming to your house and ringing your doorbell at midnight. Even now, even in this day, if someone were to do that, you either think it's an emergency or it better be something really important. And in this parable, it is something pretty important, but you would say even very important. The friend had a guest who was staying with them in their house that night and didn't have enough bread. And in the ancient world, being hospitable would have been a very important part of their culture. To, have, to not have food to give to your guest who was staying with you was a no-no. It would have been a shameful act. It's like inviting over a guest to your house for dinner and just not having enough food. Right? That'd be embarrassing, right? Like running out of food when you've invited your friend or, or a guest to your house and you just don't have enough food for them. And growing up for myself in a shame-based culture where, where you know, your reputation means everything, to not have enough food would have been really shameful. Like what would your parents, what would they say about your parents? They must have not raised you right for you to not have had enough food in the house. So we see in this story to what extent that this host must have felt he needed to get bread for his guest, right? It was, it was so shameful and so important for this host that she or he felt that they needed to go and ask their friend in the middle of the night. The shame of not having enough bread was greater than the shame of going and asking their friend, disturbing them in the middle of the night. It's like the host had to kind of, you know, weigh their options, right? Like, what's worse? The shame of hosting and not having enough bread or shame of waking up my friend? Now, we have to remember again in this, about this parable, in which context this parable was told. So, why did Jesus tell the parable? Let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus was praying, and when he was done, one of his disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, what the disciple was asking is that just as in other faith communities, they had their own set of prayers, that a, the disciple wanted Jesus to teach them also how to pray. What is a prayer that we could do together? They would have known as being part of the Jewish faith community that, that prayer was, and they had these kind of written out prayers that they would do throughout the day. They had one prayer, for instance, called the 18 benedictions, and that they would pray those about two to three times a day. So, so it's within this question of Jesus, uh, of asking Jesus, teach us to pray, that Jesus starts off with what we know as the Lord's Prayer, and then continues straight into this parable. So in light of the question of Jesus to Jesus, how to teach us to pray, we see Jesus saying something very interesting to his disciples. 
He says, I tell you in verse 8, verse 8, yep. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your boldness, or in this translation, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So even though the person in the house may not get up and give you bread because of his friendship to you, he will give it because of your shameless audacity. I love that phrase, shameless audacity. It comes from the Greek word, anaideia, meaning shamelessness. There are some who translate the word to persistence, but I believe the word translated to shamelessness is more accurate. I like the NIV's most recent translation, which says shameless audacity, because to me it means with no pretense, with a sense of boldness, but also desperation. Like, what would cause someone to have that kind of shameless audacity to ask for help, even if it meant being really rude to ask? I mean, if I need help from my friend, and if I was desperate enough, I would forget about all social pretense and, and call them up and any time of the day or night, right? Like, I still remember a call I got from a friend of mine at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was because he had to rush his daughter to the hospital because she was very sick. And he called with shameless audacity because he knew that I would not care about being woken up. In, the, like, in fact, I would be insulted if he felt that he couldn't call me because, you know, I don't want to disturb that person, you know? I don't want to put that person out of, you know, uh, you know make them uncomfortable. So, so what is Jesus saying through this parable? Some have interpreted this parable to mean that we should not give up and always pray and that we need to be persistent in our prayers. And yes, yes, there are good reasons for us to be faithful in prayer, but this parable isn't about our need to be persistent or even <clears throat> to be faithful in prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so Jesus goes on to give an example of how, how God is like in verse 11. <clears throat> Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus asks, if your children ask for a fish, would you give them a snake? If for an egg, a scorpion? And Jesus makes these comparisons because of the obvious answer to such a comparison would be. And that answer would be, of course not. Like, I mean, at least I feel like you could eat a snake. Some people may eat a snake, right? But a scorpion, like, if you ask for an egg, why would you give them a scorpion? And I'm like, Jesus, when I was reading this, I'm like, Jesus, that comparison doesn't even make sense, right? They're not in the same category. Right? So you got to do like egg with poison or egg with raisins or, you know, something that. <laughs> it's because I don't like raisins. <laughs> so, but he makes such a comparison because of the audacity of such a comparison. The answer to the question is, of course not. A parent would never do that. 
Thank you, Greg. The point of Jesus' comparison is that if humans who can be evil at times know how to give good things to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give us good things and good gifts and even the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Remember, this, this prayer, this, I mean, this parable was connected to the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who gives us life, the one we ask for our daily bread, like the person who's asking for this bread. He is the one that provides. He is the one that will take care of us. He is the one that will answer our prayers. Let's look again at what the parable is saying to us about prayer. What is Jesus trying to teach us through this parable? This parable is about God's willingness to answer our prayers. God is not just willing, but he wants to answer our prayers. This parable isn't about our need to pray and ask him constantly for what we need. This parable isn't about trying to convince the friend in the house to help our shameless audacity. This parable is about God's willingness to answer our prayers, even more than a parent would give their children their daily needs. Like if my son says to me, I'm hungry, I'm not going to be like, good, you need to learn to starve, right? You need to know what true hunger feels like. So I'm going to make you suffer on purpose. Well, maybe once in a while, if he doesn't come down to eat dinner right away because he's playing video games or is on his iPad. Or maybe you feel vindictive one day. And you're like, or you're just having a bad day. right? And like, you're hungry? Make your own food. But the point of the comparison is that God isn't like us in this way. God is not like an evil father or a parent. He's not like the friend in the house. The point of Jesus here isn't that God is like the friend in the house who gives some bread because of this shameless audacity. But God is not like this friend. He doesn't give or answer because of our shameless audacity. God answers prayers because he is a good God. He answers prayers because he's a loving God. He's our heavenly father. He isn't even like a parent who gives good things to their children. The point of that comparison is that unlike a human parent who can be evil and can be good, unlike us, God, our heavenly father, will give us good things when we ask for it. God is not like us. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there were Three answers, well, there's really one answer to a Sunday school question. Does everyone know what that answer is? Jesus, Jesus, right? Yeah. But sometimes, you know, we say there's three. The other two would be read the Bible and pray, right? Jesus, read the Bible and pray. But, you know, if we break it down, get to the end of it, we always say, right, Jesus is the right answer, right? And, and, And at the church where I grew up, Prayer was one of those things that was so important. I still remember every Saturday morning, we had to go to early morning prayer at 7 a.m. in the morning. And then the Korean church side, because I went to a Korean church, but the Korean-speaking side, they would wake up 6 o'clock in the morning. And, And for them, in January, they would do this thing. It's the parents, usually. It's the parents that for January, they would wake up every morning 
at 6 o'clock in the morning for 30 days in January to pray because they really value prayer. I remember even this one year, they did a thing called 24-7 prayer where they had blocks of an hour a day for 27 hours, 27 hours, 24 hours and seven days a week for a month, right? And the whole church had to sign up and fill up spots. And anytime there was a spot open, say like three in the morning, the elders had to go and fill those in, right? So I, like, I kind of like that idea, right, of getting our elders to fill in those time slots. Anyways, so, so prayer was very important at this church and, and in the kind of faith community that I've grown up in. And I've, I think I've learned a lot of things from that. I've appreciated that. But at the same time, it's also been negative because it has taught me and put this thing inside of me that if I want God to do something for me or if I need something from God or I need to ask God for something, like, I need to pray. Not like just pray. I need to pray, pray. I need to wake up 7 in the morning and pray and ask God because if I'm really passionate about prayer and if I ask God enough times, he will answer. Because Jesus wants us to be persistent, right? Well, let's, let's turn to Matthew 6, verse 7. This is Jesus teaching again within the context of the Lord's Prayer, talking about prayer. And this is what he says. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. It goes into the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. One of the characteristics of pagan prayer was that it was a way of getting their gods to their, do their bidding. It was a way of manipulating their deities so that the gods would do what they wanted. God does not answer our prayers because we keep asking him or, or because he's annoyed with us, just because we keep bothering God. He, like, no, we might do that. And we may answer our children's prayers because they keep annoying us and asking for the same things over and over again. But again, God is not like us in this way. He is a good, loving God, willing to hear our prayers and answer them. God is not a divine vending machine that if we say the right phrases, put in the right codes, put in some money, that he would answer our prayers. Prayer isn't some kind of negotiation or saying to God, if I do this for you, then you should do this for me. Or if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. God is our heavenly Father, giver of good gifts, to, who knows what we need even before we ask him. So prayer then isn't about us having God for stuff so that, we can make our, so that he can make our lives better. Prayer isn't about us trying to manipulate God to do our bidding. Prayer is about communion. Prayer is a conversation it's the way of us being in relationship with God who hears and is ready to answer. This doesn't mean that you will always like his answer, but his answer is always good for you. This is what Mother Teresa says about prayer. She says, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. 
prayer isn't just about us speaking and telling God of all of our needs and the things we need God to do for us. Sure, there are times where we can do that, just like we do that with our friends and, and spouses, right? We, we vent, right? We need to sometimes just work things out and need to vent, and God is there for that. But prayer really begins when we stop talking and just listen, because God is there to speak to us as well. So this is what Jesus says to us about prayer, because he isn't like the friend in the house or the unloving parent. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you, open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one, the, to the one who knocks, the door will be open. To me, this is an invitation. It's an invitation by Jesus to turn to him in prayer. It is Jesus saying, come, spend time with me, pray. I'm here to listen. Unlike us who would give friend, uh, bread to a friend who bothers us in the middle of the night, unlike us who would give our child good things, unlike us, God as other than, in whom we have our life and being, in whom all of creation was made, in whom we are called his beloved children, it is in this God we trust, we can turn to, because he is there to answer our prayers. I don't know if some of you may be thinking, well, what about that one parable where Jesus says, talks about the uh, unjust judge? Right? And where, you know, he says you, you need to be faithful in prayer because this unjust judge, uh, what happens is that because the widow who has something taken away from her, bugs the judge enough that this unjust judge, even when he is unjust, will finally answer and do the right thing, right? But that parable isn't saying that God is an unjust judge. God is unlike the unjust judge. So God will answer your prayers because he's just, not because he's, an unlike, he's, he's like the unlike, un, unjust judge. So it's not because we need to be persistent to annoy God enough because he'll eventually listen to us. But he is a loving God, a good God. So what makes it hard for us to go to God in prayer? When you hear Jesus saying to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you shall find, what keeps you from believing that God will give you those things? Again, if we think of God in the context of a vending machine, oh, great, yeah, now I could just ask God for whatever I want, he's just going to give it to me, right? But we know even within this context of this par um, parable, which is in, within the context of the Lord's Prayer, is for the things we need. And the other one was for his spirit, his presence to be with us. And again, if God was a vending machine, yes, we could just ask and seek, and he'll just give us whatever we want, but we can't control God, right? So we go to God and ask, trusting that he is a good God and he will listen to us. But I don't know, I don't know about you, but for some reason, I feel at times that I need to convince God to do stuff for me, as if I don't trust that he wants good things for me. Why are we so hesitant to believe in a good God who provides good things for us, 
Why do, you th- why do we think God will give us evil when he is a good God? And I really do think it's because of our own understanding of who we are and our experiences that, that hold us back from believing that God is that good. Instead of trusting he is good and is for us, we project onto God our own negative feelings and images of ourselves, but also what God would be like to us. That maybe we don't deserve it. We're not good enough. Why would God give me these things? But to me, that is when we make God in our own image instead of trusting in who God says he is. It's like the second greatest second commandment in the Bible from the Ten Commandments that I think this is why it's been given. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on, or, or on earth. And to me, those aren't just physical images, but it's our own mental images of God. If we believe that God does not love us, that he is angry and is spiteful, then we will pray hoping that God will be happy with us if we pray enough, if we do enough for God. If we're a good person, then that's when God will treat us right. But God isn't like that. He is love. And it says even in the Bible that not only that God loves us when we are good, when we are obedient, But while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. God is a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. We do not have to earn it. We do not have to appease God for him to do what we want. We ask, trusting that God is not like us, but much more. The friend who considered waking up his other friend at midnight may have struggled with whether or not he had any shame of asking a friend. I don't know if you've ever heard of that phrase, uh, have you no shame? Like, have you no shame to do what you're doing? Like, why would you do such a thing to bother that person? But... Again, I think we may do this with our friends or people we know that when we ask for help, we feel either ashamed or, or don't want to bother someone. You know, we don't want to put them in a, in a hard place. Yet even in those circumstances, we know our friends do want to help and would want us to ask. And so we have another phrase that there is no shame in asking. And I would agree, there, there is no shame in asking God. There is no shame coming to God just as we are, knowing that we are in need because he already knows that we are in need. We don't need to pretend with God or put up any kind of pretense like, okay, let me first come to God in this, you know, I need to be in a good place. I need to be nice and, you know, clean and holy and I could then approach God. Right? It's with this kind of like air of like, yeah, I could come to God. Right? No. We come just as we are with no pretense and shameless audacity. Because in Christ, there is no shame. There is no shame in asking. There is no shame in approaching God. Like when I think of shameless audacity, I think of freedom. 
an open invitation to approach God, to come to Him just as we are. As a child who feels no shame asking their parent for what they need. Because God is our loving Heavenly Father. So I want to end our time today by reading you the words of Jesus. And as I read it, I invite you to close your eyes and and may, may you hear the words of Jesus as an invitation. Hear the words of Jesus who is listening and is willing to answer. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone and anyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus, thank you for your invitation. Thank you that in your presence, though we may feel ashamed ourselves, though we may not like who we are or what we see of ourselves. You see us even with what we think is unacceptable. You see us as your beloved children. So teach us, Lord, how to embrace that truth, to embrace your love, to know that we can come to you just as we are, that you want us to be in relationship with you. You want us to talk and and ask you for things, but you also want us to listen. So give us that boldness, that freedom to, to come to you, knowing that you are always there to hear and to listen. In your name we pray. Amen.